Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. I just wanted to take this time to thank our patrons. Because of their support, we are able to bring you the highest of quality audio. I have a long list for you tonight, because I am going to continue to give love to every single one. So, without further ado, this show and this episode are brought to you by Kelly Bear, Patrick Stewart, J.M. Scherf, Alexei Gladilovich, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Victoria Wan, Sergio Saucedo, Stephen, Mary Wynn, Maria Herrera, John Dillavu, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Scott Savino, Kathleen Clyde, Jim Powell, Justin Thulu, John, Jacqueline Coles, Austin Furman, Brooks Bigley, Charlotte Norup, John Grills, Kelly Finner, Scotty, and of course, Sirenicide. Thank all of you again for your financial support. You allow me to go out there and shop high quality sound effects and continue to bring top-notch audio performances and productions to all of our listeners. So thank you again so very, very much. If you would like to become a patron and financially support the show, feel free to stop by patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms. For as little as $2 a month, you can get all kinds of neat rewards plus early access to the episodes. So thanks again. And now on with the episode. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season 1, Episode 4.
We gather here to unite these two people in marriage. The decision to marry has not been entered into lightly. And do you promise to honor and tenderly care for one another? Cherish and encourage each other? Stand together through sorrows. Raymond, please repeat after me. I, Raymond, promise to love and support you. And live each day with kindness, understanding. I, Raymond, promise to love and support you. And live each day with kindness, understanding, truth, humor, and passion. With this ring. I promise to love and support you, Raymond, and live each day with kindness, understanding. And may your days be long on this earth. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. wasn't on fire. I don't know if I ever actually was, but the lady that brought home that antique chair? Jesus Christ, was she a real person? What a horrible death. <sighs> you enjoy this, don't you, Bob? I never laugh at the misfortunes of others. Maybe you should calm down and have a seat, Raymond. There had always been a chair beside the table in my room. I walked over to it to take a seat when I suddenly realized it had been replaced. Replaced by that. Oh, don't give me that look. The presence has been rendered inert. Why do you keep doing this? You are enjoying it. I'm told the chair is quite comfortable. I hate you. I can't believe I'm having a conversation with you. You're a murderer. Murder loses a bit of its meaning here, don't you think, Raymond? Hmm. I would have thought you'd enjoy a change of scenery, yet you reject everything. No pets, no comfort items, no furniture. I couldn't see this, Pop. I wondered if he had a sociopathic smirk on his face every time he saw me wake up and disappear into one of the rooms. These souvenirs he kept putting into the room? Did he honestly think they would somehow make me feel better? He sounded so cold, but oddly genuine. If you wanted to make me feel better, you tell me why you're doing this, Bob. Why? Because it's my job. 
who, who assigns these roles? Why, why did I get this? How long has it been like this? Why can't I remember anything before? Stop, Raymond. It doesn't matter. Just keep up the great work, and we'll both have job security. Now, on that note, it's time to choose. Rebellion wasn't getting me anywhere. But it seemed like if I accepted what was happening for now, and actually had a conversation with this Bob, that maybe I would get some answers. Or maybe he was just toying with me, leading me on so he could crush my hopes and dreams. There was another thing I wanted to ask him, but something told me to keep it to myself. When I died, I, I don't know if it was a dream or... I just know that I saw a wedding. My wedding? Who, who did I marry? Was she alive? This, this was the first thing that somehow felt familiar to me since this all began. I was afraid Bob would take it away. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right Bob. Fine. That's not funny, Bob. I didn't do that. I'm going to have a talk with the warden later. Choose. The warden? Who is that? Were there other people in these rooms? I saved the questions and simply stared at the doors. There were two wooden doors this time. One was red and the other was black. The red door started to sing to me as I approached with the key. I felt the key drawn to it and had to will myself to avoid it. This, I decided was the door that would destroy me. It wanted so badly for me to enter it. The black door felt safe. I chose it. Dan was hungry despite the fact he had not eaten for goodness knows how long. His breathing was panicked and shallow. His head full of disbelief at the terrifying and claustrophobic situation that he found himself in. His nails were bitten down to the skin and his knuckles were bloody and grazed. 
He surveyed the scene with searching, worried eyes. A double bed draped in white cotton sheets and royal blue pillows was neatly made and unslept in. It had been flanked on either side by matching bedside units, one of which now lay shattered to pieces by the floor. A red Gideon Bible lay open in the center of the room amongst the splinters. To his right, a television sat atop a desk, along with a beige telephone, his iPhone, and his shoulder bag, his man bag as Anna had once called it. Her nose wrinkled as she said it in mock disgust. God knows he missed her. A framed print of three trees on a riverbank overlooked the room. Next to it, there were two rusty-looking streaks. Dan's eyes shifted from these to a wardrobe at the far end of the room. The wide-fronted chestnut doors were closed and locked with an ornate black key. The bathroom door was ajar and reflected in its polished surface. Dan shifted uneasily where he sat. His instincts told him that nothing good could come from the weird blue glow emanating through that gap. It felt like there was something in there, silently waiting for him. Icy fingers of rain tapped on the rectangular window behind him. In the world beyond the glass, rows of ancient trees stood like mossy skeletons risen from their graves, brown leaves hanging like flesh from their outstretched arms. Dan turned and looked outside with a heightened sense of entrapment. He had considered breaking the window and somehow climbing down, but he was on the fourth floor and the drop to the car park was deadly. On the grassy verge that separated the woods from the car park, Dan could see a man in dirty brown overalls squatting low over a flower bed, a scruffy black baseball cap protecting his head from the elements. My God, an honest to shit real person. This was the first soul that he had seen during his incarceration. With excitement fueled by desperation, he attempted to open the window but was thwarted by a safety hinge which gave him a two-inch gap to the world outside. Dan could not remember the last person he spoke to. The hotel manager? Possibly? He drew in a breath, preparing to shout out of the window when he was interrupted by a shrill ring the telephone. Dan crossed the room eagerly and avoiding a glance into the bathroom picked up the receiver from its cradle. Maybe this is that sour-faced shit of a manager finally ringing to let me in on the practical joke? He doubted it, somehow. He hesitated for the briefest moment and then raised the handset to his ear. Hello? Silence. Go on. Why don't you draw it out? Make me suffer a little bit more? Listen, you twisted bastards. He rasped, his voice shaking. I don't know what game you think you're playing here, but... He trailed off, looking at the white wall before him. I need to get the hell out of here. He hated the tears that were threatening to surface in his voice. He didn't want to give them the pleasure. 
The mute hiss drew on a while longer. Maybe he sat down there now in the back room, surrounded by key cards and safety posters suppressing a giggle. I'll bet the receptionist is tipping him a wink whilst waiting for the kettle to boil. A receiver was placed down at the other end of the line. What the? Dan looked down at the beige earpiece, confused, angry, and a little scared. Am I losing my mind? He placed the handset and then immediately picked it up again and tapped the hook. The line was absolutely dead. What sort of game are you playing with me here? Dan screamed, slamming the handset back down. He raised his shaking hands to sweaty temples and turned away, his head throbbing. The rain redoubled its effort on the window as if eager to enter, and Dan glanced over at the rolling sea of gray clouds. It would be dark soon, and the inevitability of it filled him with dread. He returned to his post next to the glass and followed the rivulets of water that meandered downwards. The gardener, or whoever he was, was still there in spite of the deluge. He was leaning over what appeared to be a toolbox, and his gloved hands moved within. That's a guy dedicated to his work. Squinting slightly through the rain, Dan yelled, Hey! He placed his mouth to the narrow opening and banged the palm of one hand on the glass. Hey, you down there! I'm trapped up here. Room 454. He hasn't heard me. Surely he should be able to hear me. Look, I don't care if this is some sort of joke. I won't tell anyone. Just let me out of this damn room. The man paused at midpoint as he rose from his work. Finally. Yes, yes, you in the cap. Hello, help me. I've been here for such a long time. The figure straightened and turned his head up towards the window, squinting slightly as droplets of rain splashed his face. Yes, yes, you. Could you? Why? Why is this lunatic grinning at me like that? The man didn't have any lips. The flesh around the gardener's mouth was mottled and scarred, his jawbone a dirty white in contrast to the raw flesh around it. His nose was sunken in as if the cartilage underneath had rotted and started to collapse. Lifeless, dull eyes. The color of spoiled milk stared up at Dan as the figure removed his baseball cap. He raised a gloved hand to scratch the hair underneath in a contemplative gesture, except there was no hair to scratch. Half of his head is missing, Dan thought absurdly. Looking into the bowl of the gardener's skull, Meat and bone had exploded outwards at velocity, and there were small slug-like chunks clinging to his temples and shoulders. The gardener scratched the bloody insides of his cranium and replaced the baseball cap. He then turned back to his labor, crouching down on the wet grass next to the flower bed, gloves clawing into the wet soil. What the hell is he doing? Dan leaned forward and saw the fruits of the gardener's labor. A dull metal pipe lay semi-buried in the wet dirt. 
At one end, there was a suggestion of wood. Walnut. That's not a pipe. That's a shotgun. The gardener spun around, holding the weapon in his hands. Soil clung to the barrel and stuck in thick clods. He spun the muzzle around and inserted it into his grinning mouth. His doll-like eyes found Dan again as one gloved hand reached for the trigger. Dan spun away from the window, almost tripping over the chair in the process. He clipped his leg on the chair and landed on one knee at the foot of the bed. He could feel his chest tightening. It was harder to breathe. One terrible thought formed in his mind like a solitary bubble rising and popping on the surface of a swamp. This is all real. The realization jolted him like a bolt of electricity. Dan reached over to the side desk and retrieved his iPhone. His cold fingers shaking a little, Dan placed his thumb on the fingerprint reader and the screen came to life. Brightly colored icons shone out at him in the rapidly dimming light. As expected, the signal was non-existent. This had been the case for his duration here, but it was the battery that interested him more. There was less than 5% capacity left. Eventually, the LED on the back of his iPhone would expire, and he would soon be surrounded by darkness and that dreaded blue luminescence. This thought alone dredged a bucket of fear from the well of his stomach, and he wasn't exactly sure why. There was probably an hour of daylight left at the most. I have to get out of this room. Dan raised his hand and wrapped his knuckles on the wall above the desk for what felt like the hundredth time. Absolutely solid. The Renfield Hotel was old and had been built to last. Plasterboard, this was not. He had stayed in plenty of other hotels where the walls had been paper thin and the noises of fellow travelers had kept him up at night. Of course, this was the only reason that he experienced insomnia. He still struggled with the idea that the love of his life was no longer around. He was so incredibly lonely. He was struck by how silent the building was. Surely there were other people staying here. At eye level, just to his right, was the print of three trees framed in black wood. They stood side by side on a calm riverbank, their trunks a single chocolate brush stroke and their leaves applied by sponge or something similar. It must be autumn there too, he thought. The river below them was a deep aqua, calm strokes meandering along to a place out of view. Dan reached out to touch the glass in the dusky light to feel the solid wooden frame. Something real. Something created elsewhere outside of these four walls. The phone rang for the second time. He couldn't help but flinch. He placed the handset to his ear, soundlessly. From what seemed like a million miles away, he could hear the quiet shush of white noise. He swallowed, closed his eyes, and listened. 
Seconds passed, and he was just opening his mouth to speak when he heard a single measured breath. Hello? Look, I know that there's somebody there. The lion hissed and crackled. Hello? Look, if this is some sort of joke, it isn't funny. I've been locked in here for goodness knows how long now and... His name was whispered quietly, but with such clarity that it startled him. He wheeled around, his attention drawn to the ever-darkening sky outside. The storm was relentless. Hello? Yes. Hello? Mixed emotions rose within him, hope and panic. It almost stole his breath. Why? The static ceased with a click. The line was dead. More out of hope than expectation, Dan placed a finger on the hook again and pressed it a couple of times. Nothing. In an act of futility, he dialed the emergency services. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. To no effect. He turned his attention to the only door in and out of this place, and he crossed the carpet he purposefully focused on his destination. But he sensed the phosphorus growing from his right as he passed. The bathroom door was much the same as every other hotel door. Sandy-colored wood with a chunky brass handle. It stood around eight inches ajar. Dan could see in his periphery ceramic tiles on the wall, reflecting that horrible, maddening light. His only egress stood before him. He had, of course, tried to get out this way before, countless times. It was the first place he headed to after his initial grim discovery. Keycard in hand, panicked, and glancing behind him, Dan had twisted the catch and tugged on the handle. The door had not moved. His fists had pounded on wood until they were red and sore, but it hadn't even felt like giving. He threw the bedside unit at it, more out of frustration than anything, and it had shattered into so many small pieces. It felt like someone had welded the door to its frame. Concrete could have been poured, filling the carpeted passage beyond it for all he knew. There was a laminated map on the fourth floor on the back of the door, complete with a little neon sticker proclaiming, you are here. Above this was a peephole at chest height, a dark onyx iris set within a brass eye. It seemed like a lifetime ago when Dan had last placed his eye to one of these. He had ordered room service to this very room a lifetime ago when he and Anna were celebrating five years together. It was the reason why he had returned to room 454. It had seemed a fitting place to visit, another way to be closer to her. A portly man with a name badge and a black suit had delivered the silver surface on a little trolley, fish-eyed through the lens like something from a hall of mirrors. They had laughed at the waiter's expense before opening the door, then withheld Snickers as they let him in. 
Desperate to see a sign of life, Dan placed an eye on the hole. The corridor outside was, as he remembered, a rabbit worn of doors, each adorned with their respective number in brass, except something was slightly off about the lights. They flickered a weird shade of blue. This was a dying light. It is a horrible, maddening light that has no place in this world. There was movement down the corridor in the narrow periphery of the fisheye, and something stumbled into view. It was a woman, or at least used to be. She wore petite leather boots, blue denim shirt, and a t-shirt with the words, sex pistols, never mind the bollocks printed on the front. Her incredibly pale arms were limp by her side and she struggled to press forward, her head low. As she grew closer, he could hear her raspy, asthmatic breathing. Her hair color was difficult to ascertain under the throbbing blue light, but it looked like it might be a dark shade of auburn. Dan could feel his heart beating in his chest. He could feel the throbbing rhythmic pulse rising in his ears. He could not move. Now he could see a thick black trickle of blood running down the outside of one leg. It seemed to originate from beneath her skirt, where a wide, sopping patch was soaked through at the hip. It oozed down past her knee and into a boot where it had already started to pool, overspilling. Around her collar, a crimson bid had also soaked, glossy under the tube lights. It was where her chin rested low against her sternum. With horror, Dan saw that her head was beginning to rise. He wanted to close his eyes, but he just couldn't. Please, God, I don't want to see this. As the wraith leveled with the peephole, she stared at him with white marble eyes, revealing a rotted leather face. Her neck was marked with a long red gash. And as she raised her hands to him, a parody someone showing they were in handcuffs. He realized two things. Her wrists were sliced to flapping ribbons, and she had a razor blade clutched between two bony fingers. She threw her head back like a lunatic and screamed. <gasps> Dan's back collided with the wardrobe as he backed away from his view, and he fell backwards onto the carpet. This can't be happening. This can't be real. Hysteria rose from his gut and threatened to spill his tears, but no further sounds came from the corridor outside of 454. The room took on a pale blue tint as darkness fell in earnest. <laughs> it was only when Dan found himself chuckling quietly, staring transfixed at the narrow gap that led to the bathroom that he switched on his iPhone and flicked the gleaming white LED into existence. Shadows fled quickly into corners as he swept his prison with the white light of the iPhone, and with it he could feel his sanity slowly return. He sat down on the bed for the first time and cried. They had found out about the sickness all too late, it hit them both harder than any traffic collision. Anna 
had thought that her asthma was worsening, <coughs> spat pools of blood into their porcelain wash basin. Didn't think to mention it. The consultant told them to take a seat. He had some news to tell them. He tore their world apart in three little words. Just six months. Go on with your life, okay? But please don't forget about me. She had said, searching his face with her eyes. He raised his hands to cover his face as he wept. <laughs> How can I go on, Anna? How could I? The light trembled on the frame print within his tired hand. He was so deep in his grief that he almost didn't hear the telephone ringing again. Bleary-eyed and on the verge of exhaustion, he rose from where he sat and raised the handset to his ear. Dan sensed movement within the white noise hiss before the pops and crackles formed themselves into words. grew and faded in strength, as if the signal that carried them was tenuous. I love you so much, Anna. Silence. Dan replaced the handset back down with care, rested it gently in its cradle just as he had done with her arm onto her pillow during the final day. Through his freely flowing tears, he stole a glance at the bathroom door. Anna wants me to go in there. I must go in there. The blue light flickered as if in acknowledgement. He had been avoiding that place and didn't know if he had the strength or resolve to walk into it. His sanity was fragile and he thought that it might smash as easily as bone china. Dan checked the battery life on his iPhone, 1% left. He unzipped the shoulder bag, directing the light as he did so and removed the only weapon-like tool in his possession a small pair of nail scissors. With growing trepidation, he approached the door to the bathroom and pushed it open. The stench punched him in the face as he crossed the threshold. A sickly sweet odor of putrefaction and rotten meat. Dan was surprised that the stench had not spilled over the threshold and into the bedroom beyond. That horrible light thrived here too. It was all around him and coated everything from the tiles to the bath and the wash basin with a greasy looking film. Dan felt compelled to put his phone in his pocket to look a little closer at this strange 
and terrible luminescence. A dark puddle of red had formed and congealed on the tiles in one corner of the room. Within small rice-like shapes writhed and pulsed. The same viscous liquid had also spattered across a yellow carrier bag that rested against the bath. Angles within the bag suggested that it contained square or rectangular items. Dan recognized his bag, but did not know why. A droplet of straw-colored liquid fell from above, and the maggots pulsed into a frenzy. Dan looked up at the main effigy within this sanctuary of filth. A man hung from the bowing light fitting by a noose fashioned from green electrical wire. His brown boots pointed downwards, and Dan noticed the rubber-scuffed marks on the porcelain of the toilet behind him where he had bucked and kicked during his final moments. The jeans were black, but did not disguise the staining around the crotch where the corpse had pissed himself. Poor bastard. Poor, poor bastard. The head was wrapped thickly in a plastic carrier bag, secured around the neck by the wire. The polythene handles dangled loose below the ligature. A button shirt hung over the corpse's waistline, and his arms were dead weights at his sides. The silence was broken suddenly, and cruelly by a low giggle. And Dan was not at all surprised that this was coming from beneath his own teeth. He had reached a junction where he had welcomed madness. It was his only salvation. You look like a scarecrow, exclaimed Dan, and descended into an uncomfortable fit of chuckles that rapidly became coughing fit as he breathed in the contaminated. He stumbled forward in the small space and knocked the body which spun like a twisted marionette. There was a creak, followed by a low groan as the light fitting buckled and then gave way. A small cloud of screws and dust followed the corpse to the floor where its head banged against the shower cubicle. Dan stopped laughing, staring into the corner where the body had disturbed the familiar yellow bag. The contents had spilled into the puddle of red, squirming filth. Letters, some in small pink envelopes, and some folded in half were now soaking up the bile. Gore. The sight of them shocked Dan into sobriety. He recognized them. Dan knelt and removed one letter from the bag. Stapled to it was a Polaroid of Anna, a self-taken shot of her beautiful face, headscarf wrapped around her head, a wink in her eye. It was cheeky, funny, and heartbreaking all at the same time. He closed his eyes and placed the letter against his forehead, tears cascading down his cheeks. He remembered. Dan replaced the letter with care and turned to the body. Using the nail scissors, he cut a slit into the plastic that entombed a male head. With a resigned sadness, he pulled the two sides of the hole apart and down over a waxen face. The plastic yielded easily, revealing two bulging, clouded over eyes set in receded sockets. 
He knew that those eyes had been staring at the shaving mirror before life was choked away. And the last thing they had ever seen was the flickering blue light above the shaving mirror. Dan reeled back, falling hard against the sink. He stared at horrible tableau before him, eyes wide, mouth agape, and a soundless scream escaping from deep within his lungs. He was looking into a dead face that he had seen a million times before in the mirror. Those angular cheekbones, the dark brown hair and the stubble chin. He now realized exactly what he had done the first time he had entered the bathroom and how his shaking legs had taken him in there, but never walked out again. In that moment of perfect terror, he heard Anna's voice, immersed in the static of a telephone line a billion miles away. She implored a single word that made perfect sense to him. The Way Out, written by Gary Buller. You can follow Gary Buller on Twitter at Gary Buller. Dan was performed by Warren Richardson. You can check Warren out on his website at warrenrichardsonvoiceovers.com. Anna was voiced by S.H. Cooper. You can follow her on Twitter at Miss Pippinaceous. I, I swear I am destroying that. Raymond Story is written by Brian Black. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Darth Chair. The role of Raymond is performed by me, Jason Wilson. You can follow me on Twitter at Audio Torment. Bob, the wonderful, wonderful Bob, is voiced by Graham Rowett. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY for New York. And The Singing Woman is performed by Christina Wilson. You can follow her on Twitter at Riding That Wave. Audio production of The Way Out was by me, Jason Wilson. Artwork was by Cassie Pertit. Feel free to stop in and say hi to us on Twitter at The Grey Rooms Pod. And while you're at it, thegrayrooms.com or facebook.com forward slash The Grey Rooms and join our emotional support group. I hear it's lively in there. And don't forget, if you would like to show financial support for this podcast to help us continue to produce these stories, feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms. And another great way to help us get into the ears of as many people as possible. Make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or any podcast directory where you can find us. These five-star reviews help us with exposure to new listeners. So thank you ever so much for everything you do. We will continue to strive to produce high-quality, five-star audio performances and productions for you to enjoy. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>